Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Terry Talks Fiction. Today we're going to be talking about a video game, so slightly different to some of the reviews that we've done in the past. In fact, it's really interesting because it's not even a particularly narratively driven video game, but there's something about the way in which this video game in particular conveys its information to the player that I'm really interested to chat about and examine from a narrative perspective. Bonus points because the game in question is also a game that was developed in Australia. It was developed in Adelaide, in fact, by a little group of people called Team Cherry. And the game is called Hollow Knight. For those in the know of video game terms, Hollow Knight is a Metroidvania, which means it's a sort of game that relies on going onto different screens, learning certain things about the enemies that are existing in those places, learning their patterns, and where it's a sort of game where death to those enemies isn't really a failure so much as it is a learning experience, because the game will just reset you back at uh, your last save point, and you can make your way back to where you were, Armed with now the knowledge of how that enemy works, you can work around them and you can eventually triumph. It doesn't matter how many times, how many tries it takes, you'll just be able to keep going until you've learned how that person, how that enemy works, and you can uh, move past them to the next area, collecting items and upgrades as you go and defeat enemies to become more powerful and to access parts of the game that were you might have started off next to, but you were locked out of because you couldn't you know, jump so high or you couldn't uh, run so fast. But now, after defeating a few enemies and getting a few upgrades and power-ups, now you can. What really sets Hollow Knight apart is just the extreme attention that the Team Cherry creators have taken to all of the other aspects of the game including the the music design, the set design across the different screens of the game and the different areas that you go into, but also the narrative design, which is, it's a really engaging and interesting story, which is told through sort of the barest clues. It's it's a type of world-based storytelling where you, you have to go and collect the clues to the narrative through little journal entries or through what's written down on various sculptures that are scattered throughout the kingdom that you're exploring. And trying to piece together a narrative of what happened based on the remains of the civilization sounds horribly archaeological to me. So I'm very keen to talk about exactly how Team Cherry have produced such a really narratively engaging experience out of something which relies entirely on the player to uncover. Now, video games have been a long-time passion of mine. I really enjoy spending time in video gaming worlds, playing through mostly the the games I play are sort of narratively driven. So you would have a storyline where you are a character in the story, you are the protagonist, you work your way through the progression of the story and come to some sort of conclusion. 
And after being locked at home for so long last year, I did sort of branch out a little bit in the style of game that I was willing to play. I found myself, you know, craving new experiences, but not able to go anywhere, as it were. And so Hollow Knight is one of those things that I picked up first because it was on Xbox Game Pass, uh, and then on the Nintendo Switch because it was really very cheap for an incredible amount of content. And the uh, Nintendo has, the Switch has the um, benefit that I can play it on the toilet where I can't like drag the Xbox in every time I want to get a respite from the kids. It was the first Metroidvania style game that I've ever played. Um, Metroidvania is just a portmanteau between the different names of Metroid and Castlevania, two old styles of video games from the uh, the um, old you know original Nintendo systems uh, days, and it just sort of, it it describes that I guess kind of approach that I uh, that I introduced at the beginning to how a game is constructed and experienced. Um, it's one of those things I've always sort of shied away from because from a gameplay perspective, it doesn't really jive with what I enjoy. Uh, as I said, I sort of enjoy these narrative game experiences. And one of the key features of a Metroidvania is basically just resetting everything all the time. You know, every, each of those deaths uh, that I was talking about, you 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 fail to a boss. It's it's just continual try fail cycles. Uh, but when you fail and reset at the point you were, you know, all the enemies that you defeated on the way to get to the one that beat you are all there again. They're just going to just the world will just repopulate itself, and it's one of those things. That it feels kind of not like you're making any progression like you're not actually achieving anything if sort of every time you blink the the world is full of the same people that you've just defeated and now you need to go do all of that again for anyone who's ever thought video games was a waste of time this kind of doubles down on that concept and tries to turn it into a feature instead of a bug because of that, it's one of those games that I've never really gelled with and I've never actually put any attempt into enjoying. But Hollow Knight caught me not only by surprise, but also really gripped me from the opening moments of the game. For anyone who caught me uh, completely gushing about bug fables uh, from last year, from my, my yearly picks... Uh, it seems like I'm running on a theme here because Hollow Knight revolves around a kingdom of bugs. And the entire game starts when you, as a weird sort of nondescript little horned beetle thing, are walking along, you jump off a cliff and do the superhero landing, you know, three-point superhero knees and, and, and lowered shoulder boom on the ground in a sort of a cavern that leads towards a small town that sits atop an ancient ruined kingdom. And your job is to explore that. And that is all you get at the start. For some reason, something about the aesthetic of this game, just that, that ruined kingdom aesthetic, and just seeing as you, even in that opening sequence, just a progressing past sort of discarded statues, uh, the 
hollowed out shells of dead beetles. Uh, and, you know, if anyone's ever moved their dresser or their couch after an, uh, a little too long between sweeps, you'll know that sort of beetle carcasses can tend to accumulate in places. And going through this you know, cavern filled with the, you know, the dead leading into this ancient kingdom, these crumbling ruins, and the little hints that you get even along the way from the signposts that have been left there from the the, the old ancient kingdom's king. Uh, it, there's a very Ozymandias vibe to them. You look on my works, ye mighty and despair. This, you know, it touts itself as the first, the last, and the only civilization uh, the eternal kingdom of Hollow Nest, you know, greeting travellers along this path to enter it. But, you know, it, it, there's, from the very get-go, uh, uh, there's a real narrative tension and a true disconnect because while you've got these plaques that are everywhere welcoming you as a traveller to this wonderful kingdom, you can see it in ruins already. And it, it, it's... It's a really great narrative tool. It, it immediately introduces the tension because on the one hand, you're being told one thing about this place, but on the other hand, you're being shown something completely different. What kind of eternal kingdom is in complete disrepair and ruin when you get there covered by the bodies of the dead? It immediately hooked me, and it immediately got me really interested to find out what was in this kingdom below this this fading town that was on top, just populated by you know a single elderly gentleman who is quite lonely and was looking you know will chat to you as you as you wander by, and as your actions below repopulate the town by rescuing the people who have other adventurers or other people who have gone down, other people, I say, other bugs, uh, who have gone down into that kingdom below to sort of seek their fortune or to answer the call to adventure. There's something that's really, really engaging just in the concept itself. And in those early moments of the game, it's the concept that sells you, along with just the absolutely gorgeous musical soundtrack to this game which has from the beginning such a feeling of pathos and like you know sort of this lost regretful mournful themes that just run through the areas that you're exploring you through the music you can feel the weight of the loss of this kingdom like of what it once was and that it's in ruins now. It really does a great job sort of, of evoking that feeling that you get when you know, when you're at an abandoned, you know, a, like a lighthouse that is no longer used. But, you know, you look at it and you know that at one point in history, that lighthouse here, isolated on this coast, was the sole thing responsible for saving the lives of sailors out on the ocean just out there like major shipping lanes that were running past where if you didn't know where the coast were you would just run aground on the rocks and everyone would die you know now everything is done by gps and these lighthouses are still there they're sort of 
still standing just left behind by the passage of history. Like they've got their proud bearing, but it's, it's a pride over nothing because the world has moved on without them. The music in this game gives you that same sense of pathos from the very moments that you enter it and the very first few steps you take into this eternal kingdom, which is completely in ruins. But while the, sort of that, that music and sort of the, the aesthetics of the setting are what hook you in the, at the start of the game, what really kept me going throughout was, of course, it could only be the story of this world. Now, as I sort of said at the start, for an archaeologist, this is an incredibly addictive game because you're fighting your way through, like, you know, these hordes of enemies. There's all the sort of video game things that come along with that. So there's a really interesting combat system. There's a really great diversity in the, you know, the enemy types you face. So you have to try different ways of attacking them or defending against them. You've got, you know, you've got your your little sword. Uh, you've got your magic spells. You've got a way of getting your health back over time so that you can go. You've It's all sort of a bit of a, mani- a resources management game as you're going along. Um, there's a, a system of upgrades called charms that you can, you know, clip onto your lapel and get different benefits or uh, different bonuses and different drawbacks. So you can balance your experience in that regard. But the key core thing that lies underneath is that as you are exploring this world, you're filling in the story of what happened to this place as you do so. And it's incredible. It's a simple story but a really complicated one at the same time. It's very high fantasy concepts, and it's all bugs. It's really an interesting conceptual thing. A lot of the information that you need to fully understand the clues that you're picking up at the start of the game doesn't come until late in the game as well, which is a really, really familiar concept a real familiar process to anyone who's ever you know excavated a site where the upper layers of a site may seem really strange until you get to the lower layers and you can understand that oh because people were here at this place hundreds of years ago that's why you know all thousands of years ago that's why the upper layers which were only hundreds of years ago are the way that they are that's why this settlement is here in this era it's because back in that era this was going on and you know people have stayed in the area over time and the purpose of the site of this location has changed over time but because you're when you when you excavate a site you're going from obviously recent past to deeper past it's sometimes harder to see, like, you know, why would anybody have a Cooper's shop right here? It seems ridiculous. Oh, okay, 300 years before this was a Cooper's shop. 
this is the conditions of the area and that now I understand why the family that owned this business were 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 working with wood and metal in this place at this time. Right. It's a similar experience with Hollow Knight. This crumbling, just decrepit kingdom filled with the walking corpses of the dead, the way that it has developed to get to this ruined point is a really fun mystery to unravel as you go through and you start collecting those clues. You start discovering that, you know, who the key players in the political situation were at the time of the fall. You know, you've got, you know, the White King of Hollow Nest, the, the person upon, around whom all of the events of the game are focused, but who's long dead by the time that the game starts. You've got, you know, the White Lady, the, the three dreamers, and you've got the Hollow Knight himself, or itself, they are non-gendered, uh, these creatures. But the law that's been built around the Hollow Knight as a creature, and the way that the actions of the White King and the what the Pale Lady, the White Lady, the the great knights of Hollow Nest, and you know the colonial history of the land before the White King arrived to, to build his eternal kingdom is really engaging and really interesting. And it's uh, it's something that sort of, I think, gets a little buried and in the discussions of the law from what I've seen, because, uh, you know, I've gone and devoured a lot of um, commentary on it as well after finishing the game, just because I was so invested in this story. But what I'd really love to see talked about more is, I guess, this colonial perspective on it, because this is a game that's written by Australians, and we we Australians are an incredibly colonial society. There are a lot of colonial themes in Hollow Knight, which don't seem to be discussed. The entire premise of the game is that there's this captured, the god of the people of this area before the White King arrived, and conquered this god and trapped her and sealed her away. This god is sort of bursting, its, is fighting its way back out of its prison. And like that's a colonial story, if there ever was one. It's a, such an Australian understanding of history. This just rampant, damaging colonialism of the White Kings, who's just come in and, and it's completely changed the area regardless and carelessly of what was there before. Where, you know, you go through the game and you start to get these little clues of the society that existed before Hollow Nest, before this eternal kingdom arrived. You meet characters and tribes of different people that, you know, fought against the White King, or refuse to accept the White King's rule, and, you know, they have persisted in these tiny little enclaves, surrounded by this rotting kingdom uh, that could not survive outside of its ruler's lifespan. You've got, again, this core 
central antagonist, which is, you know, this god of the moth people who were the original inhabitants of the area. And you've got the the last remaining member of that tribe, the seer, who you run into at some point of the game. And she talks about how, you know, how when her people were taken over by the colonial white king, how they abandoned the, 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 the ways of their traditions and how it led ultimately to this horrible calamity and the fall of this kingdom and, and the death of everyone in it. Uh, you know, everyone died just to become the vessels for the fury of this entrapped god that wants to break free. It's such an engaging story and it's so subtly delivered because for most of the game, it's just a sort of a hack and slash adventure where you, you'll you go to the edge of the screen, the screen will pan over to give you a whole new area and that area is full of baddies that you've got to stab with your nail, you've got to shoot with your spells and you've got to get through so you can get to the next area so you can get the next charm or the next you know, bit of life or the next item that you need to unlock a new area. But in the background of everything, you've got this swelling music. You've got this aesthetic of this decaying, ruined kingdom that you're going through. And you've got all the little stories of the people that lived there and sort of the fight and the battle that they had just to exist and you've got the story that's being filled in from all of those little clues that you get as to just this tragedy that happened where everything just fell apart. It's the sort of masterful, contextual storytelling that, as an archaeologist, I absolutely ate up. It was so much fun to find these little little bits and pieces of information that would illuminate the story of what happened and having to work for it, having to, you know, fight through sort of hordes of enemies and get through this challenging boss battle to learn their, you know, their movement and their pattern over dozens of attempts before I could finally you know, beat them and then get into the room behind them where I'll pick up, you know, a little charm that gives me, a, you know, an extra an extra life or something. But also there's a tablet there which has a statement by that character that I've just beaten, they, they, their journal entry that illuminates exactly who they were in the kingdom that was before they were locked in this room and died and subsequently became their reanimated body became possessed by this, the fury of this escaping God. It's something that's really exciting and really engaging and really, really fun to discover as you go through. And the moment at the end, towards the end of the game, when you really realize what the protagonist that you've been playing for the entire time, what that protagonist is and how they are related to the fall of the kingdom is really fantastic. It's one of those things that is sort of a a staple of the genre in some ways. It's not particularly 
you know, it's not particularly unique of a narrative point, but what gives it its power is the sheer volume and the sheer bulk of the context of the world that you have by the time you understand what's actually happened and by the time you get these key pieces of information you're already in deeply engaged with the world because you are the one who are uh, is uncovering these secrets and these tidbits and you are the one who's putting the mental effort into reconstructing the history of this place it gives you a real connection with the story and it's the sort of thing that from an you know, from the archaeological writing perspective, this is exactly the goal of trying to write archaeologically, with trying to write a bunch of context in around a story and let the reader be the one who can piece all the bits together and have that sort of that moment, that transcendent moment when everything falls into place and you they the reader realizes what the story is about and what is going on. Uh, I haven't had that feeling in a video game in recent memory, but this one, Hollow Knight, managed to perform that formula exactly, just through, through the engagement of the player with the world and just how everything is built from context and how really it is up to the player how much they want to get out of the story. Because you could play through this entire game not having to understand anything about the narrative of the tale and just go from area to area, just gaining, you know, sort of power level and just defeating new monsters and, you know, getting a plus one, a plus two, a plus five, to your sword so that it's easier to destroy the enemies. You can do all of that and not engage with the narrative at all. But if you do take the time, the effort and focus down in on the story, there is so much there that is so subtly delivered and you have to dig for it and really think about it to understand it. It's fascinating because it's one of those things that can be, done obviously well or poorly you can have plenty of games out there and plenty of other media books and tv series where the clues are either so subtle that they're basically invisible or they're so ham-fistedly meant to be to be interpreted that you know it just ruins the entire experience but Hollow Knight treads the line really well, where there's just enough breadcrumbs that you instinctively know where you should be looking next for the next clue in the story. And everything's unique enough that it sort of sits in your memory so that, you know, I spent 55 hours in this game, and by the time I was discovering things at around you know, hour 50, I could still remember the things that I was discovering in the game around hour two, because it is just so distinct. And that's, you know, really benefits from this sort of Venn diagram of incredible music and incredible aesthetic and incredible story.
And, you know, it's only, it's less than 20 Australian dollars to buy this game, which, as I said, I spent 55 hours in and still didn't do everything there is to do in the game. If you've got a couple of dollars to spare and any gaming system, I seriously recommend you give Hollow Knight a try. It's an incredible experience with a deeply engaging story, just full of pathos and leading up to a climactic conclusion, which is just really heart-rending in its implication and in the effect that it has on the protagonist, who this completely silent character, uh, silent, featureless character. It's really something to behold and something I'd heartily recommend you try out. But if you have already tried it out, please let me know what you thought of it as well. I'd love to discuss the world that is Hallownest, the only and eternal kingdom full of dead people. So if you have something to say about it, please reach out either on the Discord page, the Talking Fiction Discord server, which I'll link in the show notes under this episode, or through on the Facebook page as well, under Terry Talks Fiction. I love to have these discussions about that the fiction that we consume. And this was my first Metroidvania. It was a really deeply engaging experience. Um, are they all like that? <laughs> Is there anyone out there who plays Metroidvanias? Is this just something that I've been missing out on all along? Or is Hollow Knight something that is special in this regard? Hit us up and let us know. And if you have a moment as well, uh, a like or a uh, review on uh, iTunes for the podcast would be sorely appreciated as well. Until next week, I hope that you guys all get to enjoy some great fiction and I look forward to talking about it with you soon.